another Friday night, another edition of Logic and Larry, the Logic and Larry podcast. I'm your host, Logical Larry Crane, Aluciato. Everything I say on this podcast is strictly my opinion. It's strictly me talking to you as a private citizen. Anything I say in this podcast is strictly personal. None of it is in my professional capacity. None of it reflects the opinion of any other entity or any other person. It's not from a professional standpoint. It's just from a personal standpoint. I welcome you in on another edition. This is a crazy, crazy time. We had a guest lined up, one Reginald Bledsoe, Reggie Bledsoe, great dude. Great community dude, a lot to talk about, a lot to say, but I postponed Reggie tonight. Reggie will be with us next show, which is December 3rd. I wanted to give Reggie the chance to come on when the vibe was a little better, when he had the floor to himself, so to speak, because he's got a lot to say, and I think tonight wouldn't have been the right time, because tonight... There's so much going on and everybody knows what and we have to talk about it. And so the vibe isn't as good as I wanted it to be. So I just want to open it up for calls later and I want to be able to talk to you straight up. And I didn't want all that uh, negative, crazy energy getting in and and getting around, uh, you know, Reggie when Reggie was trying to do something a little more substantive than we're going to, you know, tackle tonight. So first of all. Look, we know where we're going tonight, right? We know we're going towards this Rittenhouse verdict. That's where we're going, right? We're going to talk about it. And we're going to talk about it in real terms. And we're going to talk about it objectively like we do on this show. That's where we're going. And we're going to get there very soon. But first, I just want to touch on some other current events because... Every event that occurs over the course of two weeks before we get on the air is relevant, is important. We should talk about it all. So I want to talk about it. So first of all, I've been driving back and forth to work five days a week. And let me tell you something. The traffic has been crazy. Traffic has been nuts in the New York, Newark, North Jersey area because COVID is officially winding down, even though Fauci. This week gave us uh, new guidance from the CDC that said uh, they're recommending a booster, a second booster, which is a third shot. I know some people who already got it. I'm not against it. I'm not crazy about it. It is what it is. They're recommending a third shot. So that's that. But I'll tell you, it seems like COVID's finally officially winding down, right? College basketball's back on and and basketball and hockey are back on and the fans are in the stands. And football's winding down, but the fans were in the stands all year, and the traffic's like, you know, gridlock, which sucks, but it also is a signifier that life is back. That on my Friday nights, it truly is the TGIF end of the week Friday instead of another random day because I've been home all the time, right? This is a legit, a legit Friday night. So it's interesting. Kamala Harris today for a few hours was the first woman in American history, the first South Asian woman, the first second African-American person to ever hold powers of the presidency. President Biden had to undergo a medical procedure. And while he underwent that medical procedure, he signed over some responsibilities to Kamala Harris. So congratulations to Kamala Harris. I love that. She officially had presidential powers earlier in the week, and that's dope. 
that is awesome. There's nothing better than that. I absolutely love it. Um, the reconciliation bill, the reconciliation bill passed the House. Now, we already know we passed the infrastructure bill, which we all wanted to do, and that was a great thing for the country. Now they've passed the reconciliation bill in the House only. It's still got to go through the Senate. It's a big uh, social spending package. A lot of people want to compare it to the New Deal under FDR. I disagree. I think it's more comparable to the Great Society under President Johnson. Anyway, it's going to the Senate and it's going to face a lot of challenges in the Senate. They got to get through the reconciliation process. They got to get through the amendment process. And Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema obviously have to approve of it, which is going to be tough. So that's on its way. But the beauty is we're finally getting things done. Infrastructure's passed. That got through the House. The debate's going to crank up. That's good, right? The QAnon shaman, as they call him, with the antlers. Remember that guy? Name's Jake Angeli from uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And we know some other characters from Arizona, don't we? We know some other characters from Phoenix, Arizona. But uh, the shaman, Jake Angeli from Phoenix, Arizona, was sentenced to... Several months. Now, it's funny because they say it in months when it's a federal sentence. But if you really break down what it was, his sentence was three and a half years. So he's going to do three and a half years in federal prison. And a lot of people are like, oh, he should have done more time, should have done a lot more time, should have got a worse sentence. I'm not saying he should or shouldn't. Conducting an insurrection at the Capitol and walking through the Capitol while we're trying to ratify a free election is a serious offense. But if you're a free person who's never been in custody before and you are younger than even I am and you are sentenced to three and a half years in prison. Think of yourself now and then think of how old you're going to be in three and a half years from right now. That's a long time. So he got a three and a half year sentence for his role in the insurrection. He is going to federal prison. And just so you know, he's been in custody since he was charged. He's been in custody. So he's going to continue to be in custody for at least another three or so years, maybe two and a half years since he's already been in for a year since the insurrection. Right? He got sentenced to that, which is a great thing, in my opinion. You do, When you violate the law that way, you deserve to go to prison. You go to prison when you violate the law, you perform an insurrection on a federal building you go to prison and that's what happened to him so he's in prison those are pretty much all of the current events i want to talk about because the main current event this today that happened and i wasn't necessarily anticipating that it would happen today the jury deliberated for three days and they came to a verdict today on the kyle rittenhouse case and there's so much controversy, there's so much discussion, there's so much back and forth, there's so much going on with the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict that I had to talk about it and dedicate most of the show to it today. So here's how I want to discuss the Rittenhouse case, first of all. I don't want to start from the end. I want to start from the beginning. And... I want to discuss the facts of the case as we know them as best as we can know them as members of the general public. And then I'll delve into my feelings and your feelings and everybody's feelings and kind of an analysis of what happened and why people feel the way they do and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But before I do that, I want to just delve into the facts. 
And remember, guys, we are members of the Logic and Larry community. We are members of a family who are objective, who are rational, whose sole purpose is to get to the truth. Because we can't change the inequality of society. We can't fix the racism that exists in our society. We can't make any meaningful progress until we settle on the objective truth of what we're dealing with. And we can't be taken seriously and we can't hold ourselves in high esteem until we've only decided that we'll deal with the facts and exclusively the facts. So right now, I want all of you to close your eyes if you can. If you can't, just zone out and look at something pleasant. I'm looking at the Empire State Building and the New York City skyline as it bleeds into the Newark skyline with bright lights and traffic and trains from here to the horizon. I want you to shed yourself and relinquish yourself of all prior biases and all allegiances. Look, none of us owe any ideology. None of us owe any party. None of us owe any media take None of us owe anybody anything. And when you envision these things, you don't owe anybody an explanation. No one's going to even know where your mind goes. No one's going to know what you think in the privacy of your own head. No one's going to know. So let's graduate from having prior notions and prior sentiments and anger and sadness and allegiance, and let's just go on a journey together into the truth. And let's take up the facts that, remember, we didn't create the facts. I didn't create the facts. We didn't create reality. Reality exists independent of us. We can have opinions about reality. We can reflect about reality. But we didn't create reality so we don't have a responsibility here we can just take reality as it is and go from there we don't need to shape reality in any way let it go and come with me on a journey let's go back to last year americans are pent up in their houses their apartments they're isolated they're scared the president of the United States at the time has made his way on a xenophobic, generally antagonistic platform that includes elements of racism, that includes elements of anger and divisiveness. We are existing within a place where we've been dealing with that for almost four years. While in the midst of this pandemic that has kept us locked up at home, we turn on our TVs for our only connection with the outside world. We're looking for hope. We're looking for good. We're looking for justice. What do we see? We see the knee of a cop on the neck of a vulnerable, shirtless African-American man pleading for help 
pleading for his mother as he, unfortunately, tragically, and wrongly is murdered. Murdered at the hands of police while we are grappling with the very real existential crisis of COVID-19, a global pandemic, the first one in 100 plus years, with a government that we can't be sure that we can trust because the president and who he is, and because of all the media narratives we've seen. We see that happen and protests rage across the country. Now, remember at that time in Newark, I saw individuals in the city of Newark when we were going to have a George Floyd protest. Individuals dressed in all black, carrying backpacks, riding skateboards, mostly white individuals who I hadn't seen in Newark ever before coming into Newark on the night of the protest. It seemed as though they were here to start and cause and participate in violence. They were not from here. They were from outside of here. Newark had a peaceful protest, which is always lawful and always encouraged in American society, protected by the First Amendment. At the end of the protest, these individuals, mostly white, mostly dressed in all black, many on skateboards, not from Newark, began to surround the police precinct in one of the areas of Newark. They were chased off by the locals because the locals did not want destruction in their community. The locals in Newark did not understand why out-of-towners would come here to wage a proxy war based on everything they had been dealing with and engaging in online, which is where most of these conflicts have been happening because if you'd paid attention, Facebook had been engaging in algorithmic Regimes that had caused divisiveness and controversy and got us angrier and angrier and more and more in our partisan tents and encampments as we were waging war. Now, fast forward a few months. There is still crime going on in the country. Just because the George Floyd murder had occurred didn't mean that regular crime hadn't continued. In Kenosha, Wisconsin, a woman is asleep in her bed. She's asleep in her bed and she's awakened only by the feeling that somebody had penetrated her most private of parts without her knowledge. I don't mean to get vulgar, but somebody had inserted something into her genitalia, her vagina. She woke up. She realized it's her ex-boyfriend who has violated her while she was sleeping, who wasn't allowed in her house. He then smells his finger, and he looks at her while she's barely awake, and he says, it smells like you've been with other men. Smells like you've been with other men. She doesn't even know what's going on. He takes her car keys, a car that doesn't belong to him. He takes her car, and he leaves. The woman calls the police to report that she's been sexually assaulted, a victim of domestic violence, and that her car has been stolen. The individual in question, the individual who did this, is named Jacob Blake. The police now have an APB out on Jacob Blake. They have an open warrant on Jacob Blake for sexual assault, for theft of a motor vehicle. A few... Days later, Jacob Blake is attending a barbecue where the same victim is attending. He gets in an argument at the barbecue. 
The same woman calls the police to tell them that he is there. They open warrant for sexual assault. Police officers show up. They try to take Blake into custody for the sexual assault. Blake does not go into custody. Blake resists arrests. Police observe that he has a knife on his person. They try to apprehend him. They use a taser to try to apprehend him without serious injury. The taser does not work. He continues to proceed to a car, a car that he does not own, a car that he had stolen a few nights earlier. There are little children in the car. He does not have legal sole custody of the children. Police are witnesses. His behavior is erratic. They know he's been involved in domestic violence. There are children who are vulnerable, who are in the car. He is attempting to get into the car and speed off with little children in the back. The police also know that there's a knife there. They order him to drop the knife. He does not drop the knife. He proceeds to continue. They unfortunately draw their weapons after ordering him again to cease to drop the knife. He does not. They shoot him, unfortunately, tragically. He does not die. He goes to the hospital. He's unfortunately and tragically paralyzed. A knife is recovered at the scene. The following few nights, Americans across the country, all they've had to look at for months has been protesting violence. They've seen a murder on camera. George Floyd was murdered in front of them. It was replayed over and over again. The ensuing destruction that occurred across the country with shops being burned in Minneapolis, people clashing with each other, people clashing with police has been broadcast for months. People are at fever pitch. They have to get out of their house. They have to lash out. They're frustrated, understandably. Kenosha is the next next pot that's about to explode. It's sizzling. It's about to come to a full boil. Everybody knows it. Protesters from the left, protesters from the right, they know Kenosha is going to explode. People who are not from Kenosha, Wisconsin, converge on Kenosha, Wisconsin. An individual named Rosenbaum. He is released from a mental hospital in Milwaukee that morning. Now, he's got a prior record of child molestation, assault, all these things. It doesn't matter. None of that matters with respect to the case. It doesn't matter. But Rosenbaum is released from a hospital in Milwaukee, not Kenosha, Milwaukee. He comes and travels that day from 45 minutes away, 45 minutes away from Milwaukee to Kenosha. To participate in the unrest that's going to occur. Mr. Grosskrauts from West Allis, Wisconsin, which is 45 minutes from Kenosha. He travels to Kenosha. He travels to Kenosha from 45 minutes to partake in the unrest in Kenosha. And finally, a Mr. Huber. He travels to Kenosha from 30 minutes away, Silver Lake. He travels from Silver Lake, which is 30 minutes away, to Kenosha, armed with a handgun, to participate in the unrest in Kenosha. The last individual 
who travels to Kenosha, travels from 30 minutes away, 30 minutes from Kenosha, is Kyle Rittenhouse. He is armed with an AR-15. All four of these individuals have traveled from outside Kenosha, have traveled to Kenosha, knowing that they are going to be involved in unrest, knowing that they are going to be involved in potential violence, and some are ready for that violence. Huber is armed with a skateboard. He's a skateboarder. Remember those people coming in Newark? Rosenbaum just got to the hospital. He's coming. They're all showing up to Kenosha. They're all showing up knowing there's going to be a problem. At some point, there's cell phone video that shows that Kyle Rittenhouse, armed with that weapon, is being chased by Rosenbaum after Rosenbaum had attempted to set a fire to some innocuous, inanimate object. Rosenbaum was setting a fire to an inanimate object. Next thing you know, there's cell phone video showing Rittenhouse running away, running away from Rosenbaum as Rosenbaum hurls a plastic bag at him and chases him into the darkness. Then you hear shots ring out. Then Rittenhouse is seen on video running away from the scene with several people chasing him. Chasing him. And you see somebody run up to him and swing a skateboard at him. Rittenhouse falls on the ground as the skateboard's being swung at him. He shoots. He kills that person. That's Anthony Huber. I believe. I could have the names mixed up. I don't think so. Gross Krauts. Then approaches Rittenhouse with a gun aimed at Rittenhouse. He's got a gun. Rittenhouse shoots him in the arm. He doesn't kill him. He shoots him in the arm. He badly injures his arm. Rittenhouse is then able to get on his feet and walk away. Four individuals who showed up from outside Kenosha, two of whom were armed, one of whom was influenced by right-wing nonsense, three of whom were influenced by left-wing narratives, all showed up to Kenosha. Two of them unfortunately and tragically passed away. One of them was charged with murder. One of them walked away with serious permanent injuries to his arm. The news takes root. The news takes hold. My first reaction is I don't know what happened. I have to find out what happened. I don't know what happened. I can't make a judgment on what happened because I don't know. It was a lot of chaos. I remember people coming to Newark looking to burn things down and people threatening them to leave. I don't know what happened. My first reaction was, let me see what happened. I thought perhaps given the fact that I'd seen left-wing people come to my city intent on burning things down, that maybe some of these left-wing people were the assailants here. Maybe they came for violence. I didn't know. But then I read an article that said, that the first individual had thrown a plastic bag at Kyle Rittenhouse. And I said, well, a plastic bag, that's nothing. Of course, Rittenhouse is guilty of murder. A plastic bag isn't deadly. How could that be? I am against Rittenhouse, that's what I said. 
Then I read articles upon articles upon articles about what the evidence showed. And I read that, wow, somebody chased Rittenhouse. He was running away and they threw a plastic bag at him. And then they don't know what happened because shots rang out. And then somebody was coming at his head while everybody was chasing him. Somebody drop kicked him. And then he shot somebody who was swinging for him with a skateboard. And then somebody drew a gun on him and was approaching him and he shot them. And then I thought, well, maybe this is more complicated than I initially realized. Maybe this is something that a jury needs to decide. Maybe this is complex. Maybe this is nuanced. Because I don't have all the facts because I wasn't there. And there's guns involved, multiple guns, and there's people chasing somebody else. And I don't want to make a determination in a vacuum when I wasn't there. That wouldn't be fair. That wouldn't be unbiased. That wouldn't be justice just to make an assumption about somebody based on my predispositions and my political calculations. That wouldn't be fair. And so I waited and I waited for the facts to come out. And I waited for the trial to take place. And in this country, we have trials, trials that are supposed to be unbiased. Trials where they impanel a jury to hear the facts unfold and to apply the law to those facts. And and the, the beauty of a trial in this country, the beauty of a trial in this country is that no one knows yet before the trial. No one really knows what the truth is no one knows what happened the purpose of the trial is to find out what happened and the purpose of the jury is to listen to facts and testimony and to decide what happened none of us knew what happened we needed the trial to ascertain and find out what happened And I didn't follow the trial on a daily basis because I was working and I was busy. But from what I could glean from comments and things about the trial was that people were watching the trial and people were seeing, according to their opinions, whether they liked Rittenhouse or they hated Rittenhouse, they were watching a trial unfold wherein the defense was making a good case for self-defense. And where the prosecution was struggling to prove their case for murder. In fact, an Associated Press article dated October 29th, 2021, came out during the time before the trial and said that legal experts who had looked at the evidence, legal experts who understood the laws of Wisconsin, legal experts who had looked at the parameters of the case had said that Kyle Rittenhouse had a very strong case for self-defense based on the objective facts of the case. That was the Associated Press. It's not a biased source. It's an objective reporting source. And looking at the evidence, people were watching the case and getting people on the left, it seemed, were getting angry that the defense was making a good case. But I found some discomfort in that fact, right? Because isn't the purpose of a trial to go in unbiased? 
isn't the purpose of a trial to go in objectively and upon watching the trial unfold isn't the whole idea that whoever makes the better case whoever proves their point better whoever is more convincing that this is actually what happened you are supposed to say well they made the better case they proved to me that that's how it happened that's the idea of a trial but i saw so many people so angry that the defense was making a good case for self-defense. It was as if they already had a preconceived idea of what should happen based on their feelings and their political ideology and their leanings. And they were angry that the truth was unfolding in front of them and showing them that the truth, that the facts did not align with their beliefs, did not align with what they wanted the truth to be. And I found that so disturbing because isn't the foundational principle of justice that we must get to the truth? And if somebody truly deserves a defense, they should get it. And if somebody truly deserves a conviction, they should get it. Not just what we align our sentiments to. And so I wondered to myself, there was this. Giselle Maxwell trial, which is Epstein's girlfriend, that's starting soon. Ahmaud Aubrey, which is nothing short of a modern-day racist lynching in Georgia, that trial was happening. There were so many things going on. I wondered to myself, why is there such a hyper-focus on this Rittenhouse case? Why is everybody so emotionally invested in this? Why is everybody so deeply entrenched on this case? Why are there so many emotions flaring on this case? And then it dawned on me. The reason that the emotions are running so high on the right and left in this case is because everybody's myth, everybody's religious conviction, everybody's belief system that they've now made a part of their integral identity is at stake, right? The right wingers who believe that the proliferation of more guns, that the proliferation of AR-15s is a good thing, that the good guy with a gun can stop things. That some kid was going to stop the burning and the looting and the rioting and he stood his ground and he took out the, you know, miscreants and those not abiding by the law. That was at stake, right? If he went down for murder, then that whole fake notion of him being some kind of hero, the good guy with the gun, right? Isn't that who they envision themselves as half the time? They want to carry guns. They want to arm themselves to the teeth. They want to fight so hard to have all these crazy arsenals. Why? They want to do it because they see themselves as somebody who's going to step in and defend property in person from violent Unlaw, you know, lawless mobs or the terrible treasonous tyrannical government. That's what they see themselves as. That's what they see themselves as. So, of course, their myth is at stake. 
And they are so wedded to that myth. And remember, you guys are with me. This is Logic and Larry. We're not wedded to any myth. We only care about the truth. How it affects the outcome one way or another of ideology is not our business. Our business is the truth. Our business is objectivity. So the right wing's myth was at stake. So they're going to fight hard. They're angry. They want him acquitted. On the left, well, they had their myths too, didn't they, right? All protests are mostly peaceful. Destruction is justified. Protesters are always the victims of tyrannical fascist activism and tyrannical fascist violence. Those people are never the perpetrators of violence. They're not the perpetrators of destruction. They're understandably enraged by an unjust system. They were victims of a brainwashed kid. And what's the epitome? What's the epitome? Do I blame people on the left? Let me just put this, put it this way before I get any deeper into it. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, I understand why people on the left don't like Rittenhouse. There's mass shootings all the time. Guns are a problem in this country. Proud boys are marching through the streets to protect antiquated statues. I understand why people on the left, the very notion of Rittenhouse, what does Rittenhouse personify? Rittenhouse personifies this right-wing AR-15 target shooting young kid who thinks he's a hero, who thinks he's going to lay it down and, you know, bring law and order, who's a wannabe cop, who symbolizes this ridiculous idea of white vigilanteism, this ridiculous idea of white law and order, who's going to come and restore order. I understand why the left can't stand the sight of him. I understand that. I really do. A lot of those sentiments I, I, I tend to agree with. But what my personal sentiments are have no bearing and should have no bearing and will never have any bearing on the truth. The left wanted to believe that everybody that was victimized or everybody that got shot or everybody that was engaged in this was a peaceful protester. That their rage was justified. But remember I just told you a few minutes ago. Huber came from Silver Lake, 30 minutes outside Kenosha that day. Rosenbaum came from 45 minutes outside Kenosha from Milwaukee. Gross Krauts came from West Allis, 45 minutes from Kenosha. Rittenhouse came from 30 minutes outside Kenosha. They were all from outside Kenosha. In fact, two of the individuals were from farther away from Kenosha than Rittenhouse was himself. They weren't just marching through the streets peacefully as members and residents of Kenosha. They weren't that. They were all from the outside. They were all going looking for trouble. And do you not think that that personification of Rittenhouse with the AR-15, the pudgy young white kid with the gun who thought he was tough, after the fact, people couldn't stand the sight of him. Do you think those people, those three people that went after him, don't you think they couldn't stand the sight of him too? They couldn't stand the sight of him and everything he symbolized. They were there for a fight against people who were like him, and he was there for a fight against people who look like them. 
They were all there for a violent confrontation, and they all got it. The jurors, I don't envy them, were placed in a position where they had to erase all prior notions of bias and emotion and sit in a courtroom and sit in a courtroom and make a decision. And that's what I'm saying, Paige. That, that's an interesting thing. So he crossed state lines. They crossed town lines. He was closer than them. They're all there. Do they, they, they get to just attack him and kill him? So he gets to walk in. Whoever gets killed gets killed. If they killed him, in your theory and what you're saying, then it's okay, right? But if he kills them, it's not okay? They all showed up looking for violence. They're all not from that town. They're all engaged in violence. He kills them. He should be locked up. They kill him. What? Does, do they go on trial? Does that apply equally or just how does that apply? That's that's what I'm getting at. It doesn't make a lot of sense. That's that's the issue. But then if you come to that conclusion, which you did, and I appreciate it, then we have to apply self-defense. We can't just say that you can kill anybody any way you want. We already know none of them should be there. We know none of them should be there. None of them belong there. So we know that they're all culpable for being there, including Rittenhouse. We don't like Rittenhouse. He's not supposed to be there. He thinks he's tough. He's a vigilante. We don't like vigilantes. But now what are we left with as jurors, as as lawyers, as the court, as the law? All we can do, despite the fact that we don't agree with any of them being there, all we can do is apply the basic principles of self-defense. And the basic principles of self-defense show that if you're under threat of immediate harm or death, you can defend yourself. And if you look at the cell phone videos, he is running, Rittenhouse is running away from two of the people who he shoots, he's running away from them. Even though he has the gun, he's at first retreating away from them. And then the third person is shoot, pointing a gun at him. I'm not saying Rittenhouse is great. I'm just saying when we're left, when we strip it down, when we strip it down, we're just left with the basic legal principles of self-defense and the jury had to make a decision based on those principles. And when they make those decisions, I don't envy them. I don't envy them because it's tough. They know what's weighing on them. They know the societal stuff that's building. They know the false narratives, but they've still the only reason. And look, I'm not somebody who's naive. I know that our justice system has been flawed in the past. I know that we have a lot of issues we've got to work through. I totally understand all that. But if you're a juror in 2021, you're trying to do your best to be objective and unbiased and analyze the case and render a verdict. And they battled for three days. They obviously took it seriously because it took them three days to come to a unanimous verdict. Three days. And so I understand that people are angry and people have, you know, feelings about how he was a hero or he was a the devil himself. But my point in all of this is people 
are fighting so hard about it, not based on the actual facts of the situation, not based on learning what actually happened and then making a decision based on the facts. They are hung up on their mythological belief system and applying that to the outcome. They don't want to know the true facts. They just hope that the facts come out in their favor. That's dangerous. That's very dangerous. And somebody brings up the gun charge. The gun charge, look. And this is this is what I'll get into too. The gun charge was dismissed because an exception applied that said that the gun, if somebody was carrying a gun over a certain barrel length, then the gun charge does not apply to them. That's the way the law was written. Now, some people could say the intent of the law was for hunting. That's a good argument. And thus, they wrote it really badly because it did apply in this case, even though they didn't intend it to. It did apply. Or conversely, if you're more cynical, people write laws on purpose. So they might have written the law under the guise of a hunting thing, but they were NRA supporters, stand your ground supporters, supporters of people like Rittenhouse. And they wrote the law on purpose to encompass people like Rittenhouse under the guise of being a hunting law. But either way, the law as written, the law as written, based on what I've seen, the law as written did apply in this case. And the judge had to dismiss the charge because legally, if the barrel length was longer than it was stated in the statute, which it was, he could not be convicted as a matter of law under that statute. That's the way it is. If you don't like it, you got to change the law. Now, I got into it with somebody on social media because I didn't know all that. The, the, the charge was dismissed, and I said to another lawyer friend of mine, I said, well, why was it dismissed? Tell me more facts. I want to know if this was biased or not. And he explained it. He showed me the law. He showed me the exception. He showed me how the exception encompassed the law. And I said, well, that's that's it as written. That's it. Now, this person then said, well, no, no, no. You could interpret it this way or that way. You know, you could interpret, interpret it this way. And when you interpret it this way, really, it's, you know, you could still charge him with it. You know, therefore, the judge is biased and misinterpreted. The person who said that was not an attorney, by the way. He was not an attorney. And myself and this attorney friend were like, hey, we're just trying to explain to you that the judge doesn't have much wiggle room here. The judge has to apply the law as written. Perhaps it's a badly written law. We don't necessarily agree with the law the way it's written, but it is the law and the judge has to follow the law. He can't not follow the law. That's not fair, right? Because what kind of society would we have? Imagine a society where every lawyer, every prosecutor, every judge was free to bend the law and misinterpret the law and misapply the law simply to bend to their own definition of morality, right? What are we seeing in the Supreme Court that we keep complaining about? We're complaining about conservatives in the Supreme Court who take the law and bend it to try to fit their manifesto of women's reproductive rights and things. And we think it's wrong because it is wrong.
But at the Supreme Court level, their level of analysis and the depth of analysis they can go into encompasses original intent and all these other statutory interpretations, where at the trial level in a county court, it doesn't go to they don't have discretion to that level. They're not interpreting laws in that way. They can only interpret laws as written and apply them as written, especially as to a criminal defendant in a criminal case, because the criminal defendant's liberty is at stake. So you must interpret the law as written in criminal county court. There's no way around it. Well, this individual then told my friend and I, who was another lawyer, basically went on a a tirade across social media. I saw it everywhere. You know, they find technicalities to perpetuate racism. They find technicalities to let guilty people go free. They're all full of it. They're misinterpreting it. I disagree with them, this and that. And, And my thing is this. That person, are they advocating that person? Are those people advocating for judges to bend the law to their own definition of morality? Are they advocating for judges to take the law into their own hands? When I was a county prosecutor for five years, I took an oath to apply the law fairly. I am entrusted. I was entrusted with applying the law as written because I'm not allowed to take the law into my own hands. That would be a breach of public trust. You are entrusted by the public. This has been debated, these laws. They've been handed down through centuries of jurisprudence. These laws are not meant to be manipulated to bend to your own will. And one of the interesting things that I find is a lot of people on the left continuously say whenever you confront them with ideas and notions that, hey, you seem you know, like a communist. Socialism is communism. They say, no, 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 no. I'm a socialist. I'm not a communist. Communists are tyrannical. Socialists are just about equity. I'm not a communist. I'm only a socialist. Well, isn't it interesting that communists tend to bend their will to what they deem to be the moral superior position? If you watch Animal Farm, if you watch, they start off with these grand universal ideals. And as time goes on, they start crossing it off because they start bending it to their own definition of morality. Well, you can't say this unless you do this. And you really can't do this, but you can't talk against the party. We don't want people taking the law into their own hands. Some of these people on the left, they see this situation. They don't like Rittenhouse. I understand why. They don't like how he looks. They don't like how he presents. They don't like what he stands for. So they want to take him down. I understand. But then they're advocating for bending the law to do it and basically saying anybody who doesn't bend the law is unjust in an abstract sense. They're morally culpable for not bending the law. That's scary stuff. That's scary stuff. And I'll tell you, I can't talk about my current position, but I'll talk about my previous position just a little bit as a county prosecutor. All I did was tell this lay person that their interpretation of the law was incorrect. I didn't tell them they were unjust. I didn't tell them Rittenhouse was great. I I just said, hey, objectively, this is the right interpretation of the law. I'm sorry to say. And they accuse me of all kinds of stuff. You need money to get justice. The system's corrupt, all this. I 
have within the bounds of the law, because I always follow the bounds of the law as I was supposed to do when I had that position under oath as a county prosecutor, I always followed the bounds of the law. But I was able to release a man from jail and get him his job back personally while his fiance stood in the corner and railed against the system and made comments about my race and who I, what I look like and everything about me. I was a terrible person. She didn't realize I was getting him out of jail and getting him his job back. I have stood before juries several times and presented cases for victims who didn't have a voice of their own. I had saved the lives of young men and older men alike and young women who needed second chances. And I always did so within the bounds of the law. I always strive to do justice. So imagine how I felt when all I was doing was trying to explain to somebody the objective way to interpret a law. And I was accused of being unjust and not understanding the law by somebody who had never stood in the halls of justice and done the work that I had done. Imagine how I felt. And that's not to sit here and pontificate about myself or my own BS. That's just to say that, guys, our focus should be on objective truth. If the individuals were, in fact, chasing Rittenhouse, if they were assaulting Rittenhouse, even if we don't like Rittenhouse, even though he 100% does not deserve to be a hero, we should stick to what's real. We should stick to objectivity. Justice is truth. Justice is truth. Justice can never be premised on a myth. And it's sad that now Rittenhouse is going to be hailed as some hero. He's not a hero. He was a troubled person who was susceptible to right-wing messaging, who was susceptible to right-wing radicalization, just as some other individuals are susceptible to left-wing radicalization. He should not be celebrated. And an individual I know who is more conservative than me, who is more for people carrying guns, agrees. He said, look, the right legal call was there, but that doesn't mean this kid's a hero. He's not. And he shouldn't be held up as a hero. And I agree. I agree. He's not a hero. It's a shame that everywhere in our societal dialogue these days, we have these competing myths, these myths that radicalize us, these myths that pit Man against woman, black against white, poor against rich, poor against poor, police against people. They're constantly permeating through our society because it generates clicks. It generates clicks. It generates controversy. More anger, more negativity generates more clicks. And it continues to happen. And all I'm asking from us, I know this was a diatribe, but it's been pent up in me all week. We've got to be objective. The only thing that holds us together, the only thing that makes us better than our shameful history, the only thing that makes us better than other areas where human rights 
and free trials and open trials are not a thing is by adhering to our morals, adhering to our foundational principles. And we should all take a deep breath because, guys, we didn't create the reality. We didn't create the objective fact of what happened. None of us owe any allegiance to it. Our role is to look at a situation and determine what happened. What happened? We don't have to love what happened. We don't have to like it. It's all a tragedy. It's all terrible. It's all premised on misreporting, sensationalization, mass hysteria, societal anger, societal inequity, all of these things. It's a problem. But we don't have to wrongly approach something because we're angry about a foundational issue that caused it. And you know what the media is doing to us? Did you realize that while this Rittenhouse thing was going on, that Julius Jones in Oklahoma, a man who was convicted of a carjacking where somebody was killed, a young African-American man who proclaims his innocence. I don't know enough about the case, but I do know that a panel and several lawyers in the Innocence Project have said that this man's death sentence should be commuted That he should do life instead of death while they figure out what to do with his case because they believe him to be innocent. Do you realize that this week, while all this Rittenhouse stuff was going on, that the governor of Oklahoma, Oklahoma, commuted his sentence? He took him off death row. He took him off death row because he looked at the facts and the facts showed that he shouldn't be on death row because he might be innocent. He didn't care about Republicanism, Democrats. He didn't care about the culture war. He looked at and said, this young man may well be innocent. I cannot in good conscience sentence him to death. And he took him off death row. Did you know that? Did you know that Jaleel Stallings, Jaleel Stallings in Minnesota, a young African-American man, a young black man who in and during the George Floyd Minneapolis riots fired at cops. What happened was a van passed him. The van shot him and pummeled him with rubber bullets because police were out that night, unbeknownst to him, trying to quell violence in the streets And so they shot him with rubber bullets. He shot back in self-defense. Jaleel Stallings in Minnesota, a young black man, shot back at the police in self-defense. And he was acquitted by a jury in Minnesota. Did you know that? Did you know that happened this past September? A young black man acted in self-defense and based on the facts of the case, based on the facts of the case, Jaleel Stallings in Minnesota was acquitted, acquitted of aggravated assault on police officers because the facts showed that he was acting in self-defense. The media will not show that to you. The media will not tell you 
about other things. The media wants you to stay sensationalized, radicalized, angry, engaged. The media wants to prey upon us being inobjective. We don't have to participate in any of that. We don't have to be angry and seething and upset and sad and mad about what happened in the Rittenhouse case. We can look at it objectively and say, wow, that's a tragedy. How can we prevent that from happening again? I'll tell you how we can stop feeding into this divisive rhetoric and these terrible algorithms that cause people from out of town to show up in towns and engage in violence against one another that result in deaths and tragedy and injury and more unrest and deaths and tragedy and injury as they occur. We can stop it. All we have to do is continue to be objective. And I agree. You know, here's another thing I was thinking about. We talked about the shaman, right? The QAnon shaman and Jelly, who I'm glad he got three and a half years. He deserves three and a half years. Now, people are like, oh, he deserves a lot more. Well, yeah, if, he, if it was literal insurrection, the penalty could be death. OK, but he didn't plead to insurrection. The prosecutors cut a plea deal to get the case over with because they got a bunch of these people they got to prosecute. And he pled to, I don't know, something like, you know, interfering with a government operation or something. And I'm reading, sorry, I'm reading this. That's a, that's a whole big thing. Well, well, think about it. If Rittenhouse was a left-wing person who showed up to the insurrection, say, this is what I'm going to get into. These these events consistently occur with different sides, right? Sometimes the left is attacking a public building. Sometimes the right is attacking a public building. And it almost seems like people will be on they'll switch sides based on whatever their political allegiance is, right? They won't switch sides based on consistency ideologically. They'll switch sides based on their political leanings. For instance, what if Somebody like Rittenhouse showed up to the insurrection and then those people, the Trump people, the QAnoners, chased them behind a building and you heard shots, tried to hit him with an object and tried to point a gun at him. Would they feel the same way if a left oriented protester had shot at those people? Would they feel the same? I doubt it. Because look, Babbitt, the woman who died in the insurrection, the police officer shot her as she was coming through the door coming through the door and some right wingers are saying, oh, that's unjustified. She's a political hero. How dare you shoot her? She died unjustifiably. But those same right wingers, those same right wingers are cheering on Rittenhouse. But what about the left people? What about the left people? They're fine with Babbitt being. Can let me tell you what my personal thing is. You're infiltrating the Capitol building against the orders of police. You are breaking a window and climbing through where sitting congressional people are. If you get shot, that's going to happen. I'm sorry to say. But here's the thing. Remember Oregon? Does anybody remember Oregon? I was on the same microphone. We were talking about the riots in Oregon, remember? And there was a federal courthouse in Oregon. It's a federal building. It's a United States federal building. People were throwing firebombs. People were trying to break through the gates. People were vandalizing. People were throwing bottles. People were throwing rocks at police and at people at the federal courthouse in Oregon. But those people were left-wing 
rioters. They were left-wing protesters. So when I got on this microphone and I said those people should be taken to task, those people should be charged, which I believe, those people are committing insurrection by attacking a federal building, a lot of people on the left, including an individual, the same one who accused me and lawyers of being unjust and all that nonsense, was fighting against it. They were just expressing themselves. That was an insurrection. Imagine if the police had shot one of those people in Oregon who were attacking a federal building. What would left-leaning people say about that? And right-wing people were all for defending the federal building in Oregon, right? But then reverse it to D.C., right? All of a sudden, the left-leaning people are like, oh, no, they got to be locked up forever. They got to be locked up for life. They're attacking a federal building. And the right people were saying, well, they're just protesting. They're just walking into a federal building. I mean, how much more hypocritical can you get? That's the pinnacle of hypocrisy. The pinnacle, the pinnacle of hypocrisy. I bet ICE buildings were attacked. Yeah. It's the pinnacle of hypocrisy. You can predict where people stand, not based on the issue, but based on their political leanings. That's got to stop. There's no difference between attacking a, a, a federal building in Oregon and attacking a federal building in D.C. Yeah, I slapped my keyboard siren, actually, my piano keyboard, because that's where I sit when I'm doing this. My same beautiful music is my same beautiful voice on the radio. What do you know? But look. Why can't, like why don't people realize the hypocrisy of that? Apply the situation, but reverse the partisan leanings and watch how people change so quickly. Like, guys, we're better than that. We're so much better than that. We don't need to switch our position. Now, you have some consistent people. Some people are just all about, like, basic anarchy. I have a friend of mine. Great person hyper-intellectual, just a great dude all around. He and I have a debate we haven't finished yet where he was basically saying, and he leans more left, he was like, why are you criticizing the insurrectionists? This whole country is based on violence and rebellion. Like, if you're going to do the thing to Oregon in the courthouse there, and they're going to do it in D.C., why are you so mad at him? And he's a left-leaning guy, but he's staying consistent. He's like, they may be right-wingers, but hey, this country's founded on violence. I don't know why you have to be such a heavy hand. And I stay consistent. I'm against all of the attacking of federal public buildings. Obviously, I'm against all of that. I'm completely against it. But at least we stay consistent. You can't just switch based on partisan leanings. It's just not fair. It's just, it's terrible. I don't know what this means. This Phil Leotardo got popped. Yeah, I saw it. I mean, what do you mean? We're going to win this thing with, with Harry. I don't know. I don't know what all that, what all that means. I, I appreciate the reference, though. But I, I know I'm charged up. But this has been going on all week. And, and when I, you know, when people start accusing, I don't have an opinion on the judge. All I can say is that when the jury makes a decision, I, I have to stand by the jury's decision. They are, they took an oath to be objective. And that's what they're doing. And the lawyers, the prosecutors in good, good faith brought charges against somebody they thought was guilty of murder the defense in good faith defended their client as somebody who had availed themselves to self-defense the jury deliberated for three days the jury listened 
Oh, right, right. Now I get it. Yes. Yes, now I get it. Thank you. Yes, Harris slaps at this. Yes. But they and the jury decided. The jury decided that that was the correct verdict. And we don't have to rage. We don't have to do anything. We can just sit back and say, okay, the jury heard all the facts and that's the decision they came to. That's okay. The only way out of this is not to double down on hypocritical ideas and notions of who's right and who's wrong all the time. The only way out of this is to be objective and to realize that even though we might disagree with somebody, even though we dislike somebody, there is an objective truth in there. And the objective truth is the only thing that could lead us to justice. And even though in the past we haven't always adhered to the objective truth, we are a new generation. We can do better. We can rise above that. Now, contrast this whole Rittenhouse thing to the Ahmaud Arbery case. Ahmaud Arbery, I mean, you want to see a case that's about race? You want to see racism in action? You want to see... A case where somebody completely innocent was approached by assailants with guns and he was minding his own business and acted in self-defense because they were approaching him with guns and then he was murdered because they approached him unlawfully? Take a look at the Ahmaud Aubrey case. And in that case, even in deep Georgia... The defense raised the objection that all these prayer leaders and ministers, including the Reverend Jesse Jackson, was in the courtroom and the judge admonished that defense attorney. I support every march through the streets of the Ahmaud Arbery case. I support every sit in. I support every prayer circle. I understand the frustration. That is a case of racism. Racism is on trial. The sanctity of our justice system, because I'm just being objective. The kid was jogging. Jogging. That's a case to look at, too. And that's a case to be objective about, too. That's a case to look at, too. And that's a case. I'm not going to call into question the jury. I'm not looking at the facts. I'm not doing any of that. But that's a case where you could look at and you could have serious concerns and reservations about racism and things going on. But why is that case taking playing second fiddle to this case? Because there's no myths at stake in Ahmaud Aubrey. We know this country has a racist history. We know that they are racist in the Deep South. We know they harass African-American people unlawfully. We know African-American people are victims of racists. So there's no myths at stake in Ahmaud Arbery. That's why it's not a hot-button issue. No one's myth is at stake. That's sad. We should be concentrating on that case a lot more. But no one's myth is at stake. So I'm reading uh, somebody, John McCorder, who's a really interesting scholar, who's kind of come out recently, kind of against uh, what he calls on the left as like a religion where there's devout believers and there's preachers. And if you don't agree with them, you're essentially a heretic. It seems a bit um, like hyperbole, but he makes a good case for the religious aspect of it. And I have to agree with him when it comes to the Rittenhouse case. It seems like there's two sides of this mythological religious devotion. Either there's this 
vigilante with a gun or there's this evil terrorist white domestic, you know, racist. And these since these myths are at battle, there's so much more at stake. I mean, religion has killed so many more people in human history than anything objective. People will fight and die and slaughter and kill and pillage and rape for their religion more than they will do for any other thing. History has proven it. So why are we so ingrained and entrenched in so a hot battle over Rittenhouse? Because our respective political religions are at stake. Whereas in Aubrey, there's no religion or myth at stake. The facts are the facts, and everybody knows what they are. But that's a problem. We should be doing better than that. That's a big, big, big problem. I'm looking at my list here to see if there was anything, you know, else. I mean, look, I don't know. Whenever I re-listen to these things, I usually do a much better job than I thought I did. I had everything so kind of aligned before I came on tonight because I didn't want to just go on a rant. I didn't want to be incoherent. I didn't want to say anything I shouldn't say. And remember, everything I say in this podcast is strictly my own opinion. The only work-related things I discuss were from my prior employment with Essex County. Um, Nothing to do with current employment. But I try to stay objective, and then when I'm in the midst of it, I think I just go on a rant. I don't know. Tonight... I feel like I just kind of went off the rails. I hope it went well. I, I, it's just been pent up so long. And despite me having this smooth music in the background, I mean, I've been trying to get this out. And I want to talk about it. And I wonder, is the individual who I addressed even in here? Or did they skip this show? Is, are, they, are they in here? Or no? Because I... All week, you know, you say a lot of stuff, and then if you know, I hope you came to the podcast to actually have your say. So, so anyway, I hope it sounded all right. I hope it was coherent. I hope it was as eloquent as I strive to be. I don't know that it was. Again, I don't want to bring Reggie. Reggie's an awesome dude, and Reggie is a great advocate for the people of Newark, New Jersey, and I wanted a better vibe. Siren. Siren, who's a wonderful person, who's maybe the fastest reader I know, next to only my sister, who's a my sister's a tad slower than Siren with reading, and who really has an appreciation for depth and nuance and creativity. She told me recently, you know, that this show was much better when it brought positivity and it brought people on board and it was inclusive. And so that vibe is important to me. And I think when I'm bringing guests on, like I brought Marcellus on uh, two weeks ago. It's just important to have guests on in, in the right space and the right vibe. So that's why I didn't bring Reggie on tonight, because I thought I, he would be in a better space if we weren't on this whole written house thing with all its divisiveness and all its negative energy and all the other nonsense. Um, I'm getting a call, so let's answer it. Hold on. Call back. What are you doing? Yeah, so I, 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 I was just going to open it up for calls. Somebody was calling. Call in. Call back in. Because I was just going to open it up for calls, and I want to call. We got time, and I, I thought tonight, too, the other reason I didn't have Reggie on was I thought we'd have some people who wanted to call. So, you know, I wanted to leave it, you know, space so people could call. And it's just, I find it interesting. One of the individuals that, you know, I kind of addressed this whole time, he's not here. I thought he might want to call. I mean, you know, I kind of called him out on something, and, and, and he's not here, which is interesting. But okay, so be right back. So I think we're going to get a call in here. If anybody wants to call in the meantime, you have thoughts about this, you want to talk to me about anything, you know, 
give me a call. You're welcome to, to call up and, and uh, share your opinions. I mean, I think this is a topic where I ranted plenty. Uh, all opinions are welcome on this show. You know that. And I, I want to hear other people's opinions. And look, you guys know me like I do deeply care about, you know, equality. I care about justice. I care about these things like but I, I can't I can't look the other way and ignore objective reality, which actually is justice to me and be dishonest intellectually just because it's the easy thing to do. Right. It'd be easy to turn and just go with whatever the narrative is on the left because it's more popular and it feels better. And everybody, you know, thinks you're such a a great activist. But, you know, at the end of the day, if it's not true and it's not real, then I'd be a coward to just go along with it without actually engaging in the objective truth and the actual nuanced, complex conversation that has to exist. I'd be a coward for doing that. A complete and utter coward. I refuse to do that. Just like I actually have stood in the halls of justice and I've stood in places and actually helped people to to achieve and attain good things and to do the right thing within the confines of the law. I deeply resent somebody who hasn't done that from the outside trying to tell me that I'm not doing enough. That's dangerous. It's okay to criticize me. You can always criticize me, but it's dangerous to say that objectivity is is wrong. Objectivity is evil. That's scary because if we start going down that road, then who has the monopoly on what's right and what's wrong, right? If you have control, sure, it's great to just bend the law to fit what you think is right because you're convinced whatever you think is right. But what if somebody else gets control? Just after you, we've seen it with kings and monarchs and emperors over history. One emperor is great, but the next one, their idea of morality is is skewed. And so when they bend the law, it bends the wrong way. I don't think anybody, aside from a few people in human history, come into office thinking, I'm going to be pure evil. I think everybody comes in thinking, thinking that they have the right answers, that what they're doing is morally sound, that what they're doing is in an abstract, philosophical, ideological sense, correct. But then they are able to exert atrocities on people because they think they have the monopoly on morality. And it's terrifying. We can't go to a place where somebody has a monopoly on morality to the point that they could bend the law to their will. That's the exact opposite of what this country, what this justice system, everything was designed to do. And even though we've had examples of it happening in the past, we got to get away from that, not feed into it more. So all I implore of all you guys, since you're my freaking family and you know I don't care about gender, creed, race, whatever, age, we're all a family. We've got to strive for objectivity and reality in the face of mass hysterical pressure to avert our eyes from objective reality. I'm getting a call. I just invited somebody into the call and see if they come in here. Yo, Yo you're, you're up. What is going on? Can you hear me? Hold on. Yeah, I can hear yeah, you. I can hear you. What's up, brother? So Not much. You want to say who you are? I know who you are, obviously. I am Daniel Spafford, attorney at law. Mm-hmm. So what's up, Daniel? I, what's your thoughts? I, uh, I, I wanted to share an experience that like I went through today, and it's just kind of like, just to kind of like share things from, you know, I guess on the other side, I guess you could refer it as, um, I was, uh, I was at lunch earlier today when the news broke out. Right. And like someone had told me, oh, you know, Rittenhouse had um, 
been cleared on all charges. And I was like, all right. Right. And they looked at me like I was the damn devil. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just like, I'm just like, wait, hold on. Like, why are you giving me this impression? They're like, okay. So you're like, you're happy with somebody just showing up to a protest and shooting people. Like that's, you know, you approve of that. And just like, no, I approve of justice. Right. You're mis right. you're misinterpreting right. what this case is all about. And it's like, well, this person just showed up out of nowhere with a machine gun and just started shooting people. I'm like, okay, wait, okay. I watched the trial. You watched the news. We're not the same. You know what right. I mean? You, you are not, you're not informed. You let the TV box tell you how to feel, right? Meanwhile, I'm watching the trial. I'm the guy who went through law school. I'm the guy who passed the bar and who's been a practicing attorney for over five years now, right? I kind of know how the world works, right? Right. And yeah. you let the TV tell you how to feel, right? So, like, it just kind of, it kind of shocked me because, like, we had, like, you know, we've had previous conversations and we were cool, but in that moment, because I had approved of something that she was like, thought was so incredibly evil. She like, it was like, I, I'm, like my image almost changed in her eyes, like right, right in that moment, you know? And it really tripped me out. You know what I'm saying? Because it's just like, people don't pay attention and they don't listen. Like I like, like legit, like while I was listening to you speak, right. Um, I was actually going through Instagram and I was going through my feed and of course there's a million memes and stuff like that. Um, but you know, on top of that, you have commentary from our leaders and you have de Blasio saying, well, this, this is a guy who brought a firearm across state lines. Right. And like, you know, this is a great miscarriage of justice. And it's just like, tell me that you didn't watch the trial by not. And don't tell me that you didn't watch the trial. It's just like, you guys aren't even paying attention and you're our leaders. You know what I mean? Like, this is a problem. Like, we're setting a bad example for everybody when we refuse to let go of the rhetoric and we just give in to what a situation actually is. And I think that's incredibly dangerous. And I think that, you know, we've done a lot of damage through the media to the American society over the past couple of years. Um, because, like, you know, we're just, we're making it so, like, a riot is a protest. Now, like I want to float, I want to float something towards you, right? Like just kind of like as a, as, um, you know, a, a goofy example, right? I like to operate on humor. So let's say I get shot by police, right? And it's completely unjust and it would be cause I do nothing. And you know, I uh, like it's, it's completely adjust and like a whole bunch of guidos show up. Right. And they're really, really mad. Right. Uh-huh. And just to put that out there to all y'all, I'm Italian. So anyway, so let's say like a whole bunch of Guido showed up and they're like, we're really, really mad because Daniel was a shot by the police. We're going to protest. So we, they get a whole bunch of picket signs and they stand outside the, you know, the police station. Yeah. Okay. I get it. You're really, really mad. You're carrying signs. That's cool. The moment you decide to knock over your nearest liquor store, it's not about me anymore. Right. Right. And, you know, the thing is, like, Jacob, the whole the whole Kenosha thing. And this is this. And, and, you know, from one guy to another, I just want to applaud you on, you know, the way that you opened it up because you were like, okay, let's start from ground zero and let's consider the facts bit by bit. And I was just like, this is exactly what people need. You know what I mean? And, you know, it, it really just comes down to like. Just take in the facts. Don't let anybody else tell you how to feel. 
look at it. Like, and also I think that, you know, a lot of times we fail to allow ourselves to have, you know, compassion for somebody who we might be biased against. Like for instance, if you thought that like Kyle was your little brother or your son, you know what I mean? And he was in that situation. You know what I mean? Like if that's my son, right? I'm not happy about him going and getting involved in something he has nothing to do with. Right. Right. But simultaneously, if you're about to be beaten to death, defend yourself. We'll figure out the rest of it later. You know what I mean? That's my kid. Right. And I think that a lot of people just fail to really do that. They're, they're so busy being told what to think and getting so emotionally charged that they're conflating rioting with protesting and murder with self-defense. And it's just like, come on, guys, just take a breath and turn off the box just for a moment. That's all I got. That's all I really wanted to elaborate on. No, and I really understand. I really agree with that. And, you know, I do because I've been out here. And I mean, like. <laughs> It's funny because you and I, I mean, all week we've been, we have plenty of political disagreements, but all week you've been, you know, because I know your soul and character, man. It's like you posted something about the Ahmaud Aubrey case too. You're like, dude, let's get a guilty on that. But yeah. you're being objective, right? Like you're being objective. You, It's just jarring. I, I want to go back to something you said. It's jarring that you are looking at an objective set of facts, looking for justice. And then at like lunch at work, somebody looks at you as if you are like an advocate of evil. And all you're doing is actually being an advocate of the truth. It's jarring and scary, like you said, about how widespread it is, where I'm almost afraid to even have this show right now. And all the things I said, even though everything was unbiased fact and i didn't even render like a position i'm almost scared to even say it because of the the amount of you know how much this uh misinformation has proliferated and permeated through everybody that it's like i'm a heretic or something for pointing out truth it's scary and and yeah. And that's like, that's why, like, you know, oftentimes like, you know, I, I stick to Instagram stories instead of permanent statuses now. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just like, okay, this is what I think about this. It's going to go away in 24 hours. Good luck with all that. You know what I mean? But you know, the only people that are on my Instagram are the people who I want there anyway. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like somebody's going to dox me or something else like that, but like, yeah, it's it, it, like the fact that I have to do that goes more to your point. Like, you know, it's scary to think, like an individual these days, because as soon as you step out of line, it's a problem. And it's the same thing with like me and my more like, you know, conservative and libertarian circles. There's people like, you know, on the, on the whole other side of the equation that are like, Oh yeah, well like, you know, Kyle was was just the beginning. It should have been the national guard taking everybody out. And I'm just like, dude, you're, you're way off base. You know what I mean? That's yes. And I've seen you. It's funny because I saw, that's another thing that's funny too. Just being like, objective dude if there's one thing and i said this to you recently one thing we bonded over is just objectivity we can disagree and when we come to a draw on opinion we Mm. usually stop one of us makes a joke and we walk away because we can't win because it's it's legitimate opinion at that point fine yeah facts yeah yeah you you brought up like like this week you were talking about like look he's not a hero he shouldn't have been out there and all that like it might be a case of self-defense but i'm not going to celebrate him as a hero like why do you have to go all the way right or all the way left can't you just make a legitimate common sense judgment and just put it out there why do people feel the need to go so extreme I don't, I don't know. Like, 
I and the, and the thing is, like, I had to elaborate on that fact. She was just like, because, like, you know, right all of a sudden, like, you know, it, it, because this person has been accepting this messaging as gospel, and she right. she like right. sees me agreeing with it, like, like, yeah. like it's, it's it's like you are you have now transformed into a demon before my eyes. Who even are you? You know what I mean? It's just like, I'm still the same guy. I'm just disagreeing with you because I watched the trial. I know the actual facts. Right. Um, you know, I, you know, I mean, you could beat on it all night, but like, it's just like, you know, I just kind of wish that people were like, just a little bit more rational. You know what I mean? Like there's like, like none of that had to happen, but like, I'll go back to the same conversation. Like during that conversation, I said, look, I think the kid's an idiot. Cause you know what I was doing when I was 17, I was playing like PlayStation. I was playing like metal gear solid and resident evil two. And I wasn't outside getting into no shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? You would never, you would never see me out there. There's better things to do when you're 17. Right. I have no idea what was in this kid's head, but you know what? It doesn't mean that like, you know, because he got into that situation that you can just, you know, remove his humanity. You know what I mean? Because the TV box told you to like, you, you have to, you have to be a rational person. Well, I think what's interesting too is, and I'm not trying to just toot the horns of lawyers and all. I really not. People think some people get the false notion that, Oh, when I talk about being an attorney or this and that, like I'm being arrogant or I'm, I'm excluding people from the space. No, I'm just saying we have to learn a certain skill that I think actually is really honorable. And I think you mm -hmm. and I both possess, you've been on the defense side. I've been on the prosecutorial side. The yeah. fact is like, whether you're a defendant, a victim, whatever, somebody's humanity is like a seriously important quality that we have learned. You cannot take away from them and you can't bring this personal emotional bias into the tribunal or where we operate because you know, we have to respect their humanity and that people make mistakes and all kinds. I'm not sympathizing with Rittenhouse and I'm not saying I, I still sympathize with the victims, but like everything in humanity, people make mistakes, people get into bad situations, there's chaos in the world. We have to sift through that emotional stuff and give people a fair shake regardless. It's not because we're evil or too stoic or, you know, concerned with money. It's because we have to learn that skill because if we don't do it, no one else is, you know, I don't know. I, I take it very seriously. And, and, and as you should, the thing is like, you know, even, and even as a prosecutor and like, you know, forgive me for harping on this because I did just take the MPRE, but, um, you know, you like part of what your duties concern is releasing mitigating evidence. You have a duty to do that. You know what I mean? And, you know, it's just like, you have to consider that you have to consider the, the, um, charge against should the charges against someone. You have to consider whether there is actual probable cause. And if there isn't, you have a duty to get rid of it. So like being a prosecutor, like, even though oftentimes you can get beat up for it, there's still like, you know, you're still obligated to do the right thing, even in the face of not being able to. Right. So like that, that aside, um, the, like, the reason why I kind of have to like veer off from where you are, it's like, I can, I like, I can't really feel bad for the victims as much as you might. Right. And I can sympathize more with Kyle. I don't approve of what he did. I think what he did was idiotic. Right. But you know, at, when you're 17, you're an idiot. You know what I mean? Like your, your, your brain is like not even developed until your mid twenties. Right. So like, I'm not saying that like, well, hold on one second before you finish. Um, yeah. but you know, the reason why it's hard for me to like 
you know, I mean, we, if you look at Rosenbaum and like, you know, his actions in the past, completely deplorable. And the fact that he like decided to run after this kid who is with an AR-15, not the brightest bulb in the box. Um, but also at the same time, when you look at the other two, right, everyone's like, okay, like, you know, you're, they're pointing, they're pointing the finger at Kyle and saying, okay, well, you see all this stuff going on. Why are you getting involved? Why don't you just call the police? It's like, weren't you the same guy saying, do you find the place? Right. Wasn't this whole riot about like getting rid of the police in the first place. Right. So how are you pulling that card out now? Number one. And number two, you have these two guys who see one person shoot another person. They didn't call the police. And on top of that, they involved themselves in the situation. You know what I mean? You, one guy runs up with a skateboard. Another one tries to execute Kyle at point blank range with a pistol and wasn't even supposed to have it. Right. So it's like, when you decide to involve yourself in a situation like that, that's kind of like, you know, that's your deal, right? You signed well, up for that at that point. Well, you I know? think that probably, that's kind of what I was delving into when, when I was just bringing up where everybody traveled from. I didn't even realize that until I got into, you know, the, the I kind of just looked at it. I was like, oh, they're all from out of town. Like, yeah. They're all kind of getting involved in it. So this argument that, well, he showed up looking for trouble. Well, so did they. You just have to get rid of that whole paradigm and just look at the facts because they're all there for that reason. That's not a reliable thing to fall back on. Yeah, but, Dan, yeah. I want to point to and, – and by the way, just to touch quickly on what you said about the prosecutorial thing. When I was a county prosecutor, I actually did – exonerate people that I was assigned to because my duty was to look at exonerating evidence and, you know, mitigating evidence. I actually exonerated people, dismissed cases, took people out of jail because that was my duty. So I, I, you know, this idea that we're just always gunning for people and whatever is BS, but I wanted to direct your attention to something that's in the chat right now and just get your take on it. You know, it says you guys have the advantage in the arguments with people saying you're a lawyer and understand the law or situation better. Most people aren't, and they only have the TV to follow. The argument on both sides with the average person in this time blows up and gets nowhere. You have a way to disarm the average person. I mean, the way I see that is like I'm not trying to dis- – here's the thing. I think some people – and I'm not saying that the, the chatter I know him personally is an awesome dude. I don't think he meant – I think he's just trying to bring up a point. I think – He's saying, like, we can disarm people because we have the knowledge to kind of disarm. And just so you know, I know I posted it in this comment section we had, but I have a group chat with just close friends. Mm. And they were actually texting me while you were going back and forth with with Rick on that. I'll just say his name. I don't know where he is. I guess he's not here. Whatever. We were Mm. going back and forth. They were texting me just like, yo, I didn't know that Spafford is educating me on this stuff. I didn't know this. And then somebody's like, oh, your guys are lawyers. You know this stuff. We don't. They were learning from it. And I think, do you ever think it's misinterpreted that we are like saying, hey, 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 this is how it works? When really we're just trying to explain something. We're trying to educate people, not because we're arrogant, but because we're trying to impart some wisdom that we have. And it gets taken the wrong way. Like, don't tell me how to think just because you're a lawyer. You're part of the system. I don't know. I get that a lot. (laughs) Fucks me out, man, because like, dude, if a physicist tells me how the universe works, I don't get mad that he's arrogant. I just listen to him. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I mean, how do you feel about that whole thing? Um, you know what? Not for nothing. Even if I wasn't a lawyer, I still have, I, I still feel that I would have a responsibility to do my own research. And that just goes from me just being a, a very deep thinking individual. And, you know, even before I became an attorney, like I had my own, like, you know, going back and forth between whether I was spiritual or whether I wasn't at all. 
you know, and, you know, I would do my own research. I would read Richard Dawkins. I would read the Bible. You know what I mean? Like, and I would go back and forth and be like, okay, what's the best way for humans to live? Is there a way to have objective morality with this, with, without spirituality? And does objective morality actually exist unless like, you know, because we all have to subscribe to it with our own subjective interpretation. So how can that exist? So like, I've always been a deep thinker prior to law school. And I kind of think that like, I don't, I think it's kind of lost on the general population that you kind of have an individual responsibility to do your own research. And if you just kind of sit and just ingest things, then you're not being responsible. You know what I mean? Yes. Well, I think that's a, it's just interesting you pointed out because we're similar in age and we both went to law school a little later, right? It's not like we came out of 21 and went right no way, to school yeah. to garner all our sense of leadership. Dude, like in my circle, I was always kind of talking about things, thinking about things, whatever. It was actually my humility. It sounds silly. My humility mm. that made me go to law school to kind of say, I have things to learn. I can learn from people. I can adapt to something. I can I can become an attorney to better understand society and to better contribute. Not because I'm so smart that everybody should listen to me. I've always been this way. Being an attorney didn't make me more you know, vocal or, or more likely to impart wisdom or to read myself or to convey things I've learned to other people. Like, that's just you know, an ancillary thing that I came into. And, I, you know, I don't know. I agree with you, I guess, is my point. Sometimes I think it's almost, you know, as people could say it's disingenuous for us to, to say that, you know, we have that professional education, but it's almost disingenuous to use that to say that that's why we're smug or that's why we know things. Like, no, we've always been that way. And we decided yeah. to learn more by going to law school, you know? I yeah. Know. I, and I won't, I won't lie. I, I have had my smug moments for sure, but I will say, um, you know, like, it, it, like when, when somebody does get into it with me and they understand that I have the facts and then all of a sudden I can disarm them. Right. Because just like, okay, I'm arguing with a lawyer now. Like we're not the same. Right. So we do have the advantage there, but like, I think that also like, it's not, and this might just be like a crazy conspiracy thing, like, you know, in the back of my own head, but like, you know, I expressed myself, I think it was either today or maybe even yesterday when I said like, it just kind of feels like there's a force like behind society right now that wants us to hate each other. You know what I mean? And I say that because, you know, I mean, look like this, like back when I was like a huge, like I was, um, I was, um, still a Democrat, you know what I mean? And I was a big fan of Obama. Like I couldn't really deal with Fox news as a, as a serious news source anymore because it's just like, okay, you have nothing good to say about the guy. He's done nothing good. Everything's bad all the time. I'm not interested in this news channel anymore. Right. And you know, the same thing is kind of flipped ever since like, you know, law school and I started leaning a lot more right wing and, you know, it's, I'm kind of at this place where I just don't watch the news anymore, you know, and I just kind of read articles and I see the way that other people react. And then I just kind of like look at the facts and I decide for myself and then I don't watch the news at all. If it's rare, very rarely, if ever, do I even watch television? I have one downstairs right now. It's like collecting dust. It's a beautiful TV. Don't even watch it. You know, well, just I just, that- I just kind of feel like, I, well, before, before you continue, I just, I'm not trying to hijack your show. I'm just saying it just kind of feels like there is these networks are set up to conf- as like this huge confirmation bias platform where it's just like, okay, you're not happy with this administration. Okay. Watch this news. We'll run a hundred percent negative stuff 
the entire time. So it goes with like, and with like your original bias will confirm your bias for you. And that's how we keep you fed and we keep you locked into this information and we'll keep on getting your ratings and every, the society will just keep on going more towards civil war. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that, I really feel like that's happening. That because when I was younger and I was way more left wing, I would watch MSNBC nonstop. And then I remember at some point, like it was during the Christie administration or something like where I know he did something stupid, but like I also was local and they were national and I kept turning it on. And every time I turned it on, they were just hyper focused on Christie to try to destroy him. And it was not even accurate. And I was like, I'm done with this. And yeah. now then I watched it for a while and then CNN was so skewed with all the topics we talk about on this show where I'm always like destroying CNN's narratives. I was like, mm. I can't watch this. And just like you, you see, I post in Logic and Larry discussion. I just post these long, like hour and a half long articles because that's all I read. I don't watch network news at all because I 150% agree with what you just said about them. I do think no matter what issue, no matter what situation, no matter what administration, you can turn on one of those channels and it would consistently feed you what you want to hear and consistently spin it in a way that's palatable to you. And that is a huge part of the problem because Facebook's also spitting out articles that correspond to that, too, with the algorithms. I agree. It's bad. It's causing more division because we can't come to an objective truth because – there are platforms designed to keep us from objectivity by just putting us in our silos. It's really sick. Yeah, it's super gross. Anyway, I'm going to let you uh, go on with your show. I need to finish this laundry. Thank you for having me on, man. Have a wonderful Friday evening. You too, my brother. Talk to you later. Exactly. Awesome uh, call by Dan there. And see, it's like, look. We, we don't have to be fighting like there's so much insight that this is why this show's dope like i don't care like me and dan can disagree on certain things me and other people could disagree on certain things and siren just so what you said i i, I wanted to point out because i didn't get to address it while he was on siren i agree right like siren basically said if you didn't see and if you're on the uh the show later when you're not on the live version siren just said you know i'm not a lawyer but if i'm and i'm allowed to have an opinion and she's right but if I'm going to engage in the conversation, I'm going to at least make sure I educate myself on that subject, i.e., and she's right. I can have an opinion. doesn't matter if I'm not a lawyer or anything else. But if there's a an arena that lawyers are, are familiar with and that arena deals with certain levels of expertise and certain knowledge, I'm going to make sure I educate myself on that arena before I throw my hat in the ring and engage in that conversation. And if somebody with that level of expertise, she didn't say this, but I'm, I'm extrapolating, I'm assuming she meant this, with that level of expertise imparts something on me that I didn't know beforehand, I will take that into consideration under advisement and incorporate it into my understanding and into my opinion so that it's an informed opinion. I mean, and that's part of you know being secure in yourself, right? Today, I posted a status where I misspelled a simple word. I misspelled the word heroes. I'm not a very good speller. Everybody knows. Like, I, I think of myself as, as an intelligent person, but I'm not a great speller. I'm not good at grammar. I write for On the Banks. I'm free. I write for On the Banks, which is a, a Rutgers sports uh, publication. 
And regularly, my editor, when I send an article, he loves like the content. He loves the um, the way it flows and the way my language is. But yeah, Devo knows I messed it up, bro. I'm not a good speller. I'm a terrible. Devo's corrected my grammar a few times, and I it, the thing that I'm trying to say is like. He edits my stuff and he's always so, you know, impressed my editor at On the Banks that I'm like so receptive to his criticism. He's like, oh, yeah, I fixed your grammar. I'm not mad because I'm secure. Like, I don't have good grammar. I don't I'm not good at it. I'm not a good speller. I always lost the spelling bee. It didn't matter how good my analysis was of the book. I couldn't spell when I wrote the paper. I need spell check. I rely on it. Okay. I've edited my book several times in my stories because I'm not that damn good at it. All right. I need help with that stuff, okay? I need, yeah, I agree, Siren, but that's the funny thing. So somebody corrected me in public on the spelling of heroes. Instead of getting mad or defensive or hiding it, I just liked the correction and then I changed it because at the end of the day, I'm secure. I'm not a good speller. And my point in bringing that up is it's okay if you don't know something and somebody else tells you. It's okay. It's not like an insult on your overall prowess as a person or your overall ego. It shouldn't be. If it is, then you've got deeper problems. Like it's okay to be corrected and and take into consideration something that somebody can teach you that you might not have known about previously. If we adopt that level of being where we can take valid criticisms and we can take under advisement knowledge that we didn't know and then apply it to our current knowledge base to form a more educated opinion, we can all do better. What's this constant resistance to being corrected or this constant resistance to somebody knowing more than you? Some people know more than other people about certain subjects, right? Just because I know more about the law doesn't mean I know more about teaching or cars or physics or math or spelling or anything else think of all the people i have on this show don't we all constantly learn from the people on this show don't we all constantly learn from them when they come on they learn we learn from them because they know things that we don't know that's part of the beauty of learning in dialogue. We don't have to always be embedded and entrenched in our own positions all the time and feel insulted when somebody imparts wisdom. Just so you guys know, there's about eight to ten minutes left. So if somebody wants to call in for another phone call, you can call in. Uh, I'd like to hear somebody else's just input or general take or general you know, conversation. I think this was a passionate show. I hope it. I hope I did well on the show. Like I, I don't know. Like I said, I'm always scared that I went like too far. I was too passionate, and then I listen back. I'm like, no, it was okay. But there's a few minutes, so I don't want to, you know, shut anybody off if they have a chance to come on and, and contribute. I, I thought Dan's call was very good. I always love when people call in. Um, yeah, Vree taught you about the school of hard knocks. Remember that? Vree, Vree knows about the hard knocks, but. Uh, I am disappointed that the uh, person who was challenging me all week didn't come on the show, who's always on the show. I'm disappointed. I, I am, but I'm not necessarily surprised. I'm not necessarily surprised. And that's a sad thing to say, but I'm not. I'm not. So, you know, uh, the playlist, by the way, I hope you guys enjoyed the playlist. And I mean, that, like I told you, that was that was pent up stuff, man. Like all week I'm dealing with that because like Dan said, like you're like you feel like people make you feel like you're on the side of 
of good and evil <laughs> thomas do he was like you sound like you're on the side of good and evil or whatever it's like no we're just trying to get to the bottom of objectivity like no one's a terrible you know person or whatever else and of course yeah chini always wants the playlist all he cares about is the playlist it's all he wants it's only here for the playlist the playlist will be posted remember one time the playlist wasn't posted promptly promptly and he was like, you know, you usually post a playlist and there's a couple songs I like, but I couldn't get to it because I didn't know the playlist. Well, you didn't post it. I don't know what your problem is, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I do hope people enjoy the show because you guys know me. At least most people know me. Like, I actually am out here doing good things. It's not to toot my own horse. It's like I truly am trying to put good energy out here. I'm truly trying to put good people on. I'm truly trying to, to just do positive things. And if I happen to see something objective and want to impart it or have the conversation, doesn't mean I'm like bad or not down with you or whatever. It's just like we got to we got to be real about things. We got to be real about things. And that's all I'm about. You guys know that. And then, yeah, Joey, see, as people, people really believe that, though, you know, it's sad. It's scary. People believe that. But it's true, you know. But if no one's going to call, then I'm going to wind it down to this Marvin Gaye right now. Trouble, man. I'm going to let it play out. Hopefully I did well tonight. Hopefully you guys enjoyed yourselves tonight. Hopefully this was the outlet we all needed because that's what it's supposed to be. And I agree with you, Siren. That's the problem. And that's what I'm fighting against. I definitely don't pick views because I want to be perceived a certain way, which always scares me. I always get scared that I pick just the objective views because I'm like, oh, God, people aren't going to love it. But you know i gotta i gotta be me like nothing can stop me from being me and if you know what if society wants to take me down because they don't like my objectivity i think i'll be vindicated in the end so i just keep doing it i do it as most as responsibly as i can and as within the bounds of my responsibilities and my obligations as i can but i have to sit here and be real i just have to be and see, Siren, I agree. I thought I thought I'd get the call. I really did. I, I was looking forward to it. I knew what I would say, but didn't show. Didn't show, huh? Didn't show. Didn't show. Hopefully he listens and he's got something to say, but didn't show. It is what it is. But you know I love you guys. Listen, enjoy the music. It's going to play out. Thank you for sitting with me tonight. Thank you for listening. Thank you for rocking with me. Thank you for giving me a chance to be objective. Thank you for bringing your unbiased, objective, clear minds to this show so we could all go through a cathartic process on a tumultuous, tumultuous day as part of a tumultuous week. We'll be back December 3rd with special guest Reggie Bledsoe. He's an awesome dude. I can't wait till you guys could hear from him. I am going to have a hiatus sometime around the holidays because I'm going to reconfigure the show. I'm going to have a different format. We're going to get more listeners on here. It's going to be dope. We're still going to be distributing through Podbean, but I got some other ideas on how to kind of broadcast live to get more listeners in. The listeners have been going up, so we're doing the right thing. But stay tuned. It's going to be dope. Love you all. Thank you for joining me. It's always a pleasure. Really appreciate you guys rocking with me. I'll see you in two weeks with special guest Reggie. And until then, stay objective, stay real, keep fighting that good intellectual fight, and sleep good at night because you're doing the right thing. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Hope you feast. Hope you spend a great time with your loved ones and you reflect on all that you're thankful for. Larry K. signing off. Good night.